Hi, I'm Caroline, a yoga teacher with a special interest in menopause based in Edinburgh. And hi, I'm Dr Claire, a GP with a special interest in menopause based in North London. Together we are the Menopause Sisters and we are here to guide and support you through your menopause journey. Good evening and welcome to the Menopause Sisters podcast with myself, Dr Claire, and my sister, Caroline, we are delighted today to be able to welcome Sarah Glynn. Welcome, Sarah. She graduated from Imperial College in 1999, and she's been a member of the Royal College of Physicians in 2002, and then actually became a GP um, in 2006. She's also got a Master of Science degree in Allergy and has also been developing an interest in the menopause since around 2018. She's also on the advisory board and the editorial board of the Newson Health Menopause Society and is particularly interested in the link between COVID-19 and female hormones and also believes that COVID-19 induced hormonal changes are sometimes a barrier to recovery in many female patients with long COVID unless they're treated with hormone replacement therapy or HRT. She also spends her time uh, looking at and being interested in symptoms of menopause in breast cancer survivors. And she's also co-chair of a newly established breast cancer working group that is currently developing a consensus statement to raise awareness about the risks and benefits of HRT for women with a history of breast cancer. Sarah, that is quite an introduction, if I may say so myself. It's, it's amazing what you're doing. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Had I known you were going to read that out, I would have made it more concise. So apologies. <laughs> no, I mean, it's. I think it's really interesting to hear all the sort of special interests you have, because actually they all, they all tie in quite nicely, don't they? They all are really important to kind of think about long COVID, think about menopause, think about menopause and breast cancer. They all sort of interlink. I'm quite keen to find out from you, if we can start with just how you got involved in sort of the long COVID clinics and and how you set that all up and you know what was the impetus behind that sure so it all evolved quite naturally i mean obviously 3 years ago we hadn't heard of covid-19 and we had no idea that it was on the horizon but then the pandemic struck and i remember quite early on uh, in the pandemic i think it was about march 2020 uh, louise newson put a slide on her instagram feed um, and i was following her and it was the slide she has of the effects of estrogen on all the different immune cells and it snagged my interest because I have a background in allergy and, and, immun- and an interest in immunology. Um, and so I started to read about it. Um, at that stage, long COVID still wasn't a thing. We were just thinking about different mortality rates in men and women with COVID-19 infection. But as the pandemic progressed, it became apparent that lots of people, especially women, uh, were not recovering from their COVID-19 infection. Um Unusually, we were all working from home. Again, in other circumstances, it might never have happened, but my husband happens to be a physician at University College Hospital, and he started seeing patients in his clinic that were essentially presenting with long COVID. Um, and we were literally at one point running up and down the stairs, and I was saying, well, have you thought about the hormones? Is she, you know, how old is she? Uh, and he was running up and saying, well, how do I prescribe HRT? And it all went from there. Um, and he uh, is a physician, but he's one of the few physicians, I think, that is really excellent at prescribing HRT now. Um, and I, you know, the, the interest in long COVID just grew. Um, and when I set up my own practice and started seeing menopausal patients, um, I think people started to hear that I had an interest and started to come to see me. And it's all gone from there, really. 
I'm thinking of the dream team there at home. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. We have our moments, but in terms of long COVID, I have to say it's worked very well. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great, as you say, championing him as a, as a physician prescribing HRT. And, and with that knowledge, it's just one. It's always really wonderful to hear, actually. Yeah. Um, Sarah, could you maybe just talk us through a little bit about what we actually know because there's so much whether it's social media or kind of just media in general the chat around long COVID the chat around hormones what do we really know about the effects of long COVID particularly for women and their hormones sure well again from sort of quite early in the pandemic uh, it was largely being talked about on social media um, and we knew that women with COVID-19 infection tended to do better than men um, mortality rates in men were much higher men were more likely to get a severe infection they were more likely three times more likely to end up in ITU um, and lots of women on social media were saying that their periods had changed after COVID-19 infection um, and unfortunately not many studies uh, there have been a vast number of observational studies but not many of them have actually asked women about their periods but there was a study um, uh, a big study that was published again in about 2020 that did and in that unselected cohort of women with persistent symptoms after COVID infection about a third of them were reporting changes in their periods usually heavier or irregular um, but it could be anything so less frequent shorter longer heavier lighter PMS symptoms got worse more painful anything um, and from there, really, we started thinking about long COVID. It became apparent that long COVID was particularly likely to develop in women. I think it was the COVID Symptom Study app that um, initially uh, looked at the odds of long COVID in different age groups in men and women um, and found that women aged 40 to 50 are twice as likely to get long COVID compared with men of the same age. Uh, and women aged 50 to 60 have got the highest odds overall. And in fact, women aged 50 to 60 are nine times more likely to get long COVID than young young women aged 20 to 30. Um, apart from the changes in women's periods, um, I'm sure we're going to be talking about symptoms shortly, but there are lots of other symptoms that, that, that are common in the perimenopause that are also common in non-COVID patients. Um, and beyond that, really, there's not an awful lot because despite the vast amount of money that's been um, uh, you know, allocated to research in non-COVID patients, none of it has been allocated to looking at the role of HRT in women with non-COVID. Mm. This is always a, a long-term battle, isn't it? <laughs> Research in women's health. Indeed. It, it's interesting, you know, those, those, that, that overlap that you suggest there, Sarah, which we know we see in clinical practice, don't we, that, that, that long COVID symptoms can mimic perimenopausal symptoms or they might be perimenopausal. Is there any... Is there any way to distinguish that? I mean, how do you go about distinguishing that in your cohort of patients? Is there a way or is it something that you just have to, you know, try HRT and see? Yeah, so basically you're right. Um, you 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 can't tell clinically when a person is in front of you, a woman is in front of you, which of her symptoms might be related to hormone deficiency and which might be due to a direct effect of the virus. So, for example, common symptoms in the perimenopause are things like fatigue and brain fog, low mood, depression, anxiety, uh, palpitations, muscle and joint aches and pains, changing periods, new onset IBS type symptoms, uh, vaginal dryness. Um, um, and these are all symptoms in long COVID as well. And there is no diagnostic test for either the perimenopause or long COVID. There are some symptoms that I think um, are more specific to long COVID. So 
patients with POTS and autonomic instability, you know, people who desaturate on exercise, um, people with chest pain, possibly with underlying pericarditis or myocarditis. You know, there are certainly some symptoms that you don't see in perimenopausal women, but by and large, it can be really difficult to tell. And so the only way to find out really is to give women a trial of HRT, which is very safe. Um, and if there are symptoms of hormone deficiency, it will very effectively treat them. So if you monitor the clinical response, people that improve and the vast majority, certainly of my patients have done with HRT, at least to some degree, then you know that there's an element of hormone imbalance. And in some women, that's a really big factor um, that is driving their long COVID and they make quite a dramatic improvement. And for other women, it's one of the things that is contributing to their long COVID symptoms. Having said that, I think um, sometimes even other symptoms that aren't directly due to hormone deficiency. So as I've said, um, maybe heart rate variability or POTS or those type of symptoms. In some cases, I've even seen those improve, which I can only attribute to anti-inflammatory effects of estrogen and or testosterone. Um, so it doesn't cure it. You know, HRT will not cure long COVID if there's lots of other things going on, but it will certainly treat hormone deficiency that is either causing or exacerbating symptoms in you know, this women of this age group. Yeah, and actually you, you mentioned there the, the estrogen and its role in, in inflammation. I think that's really key, isn't it, is that we know that estrogen is an anti-inflammatory and, and, and just even using HRT in, in, the, in the often very small doses that we use it in sometimes can be really, really effective. And I'm wondering about that and, and younger women, because I've had, I've had lots of women who have come to me and said, well, I've been told I can't have HRT because I'm too young for for the, for the menopause, but I've got these long COVID symptoms. And that's quite a barrier, isn't it? It's still a barrier that we, we're, we're having to break break down quite Yeah, quite yeah it is. But I mean, I always say to women, you know, firstly, premature menopause or premature ovarian insufficiency is not rare. It affects one in 100 women. Um, I think, but I don't know because there's no data, but I wonder if it's more common in patients with long COVID. Perhaps some of these women were going to hit the menopause early, might have just squeezed in at sort of, you know, 41 or 42, but because they got COVID at 37 or 38, it's triggered an earlier menopause than they would otherwise have had. Uh, we'll never know, obviously. Um, but hormones are very safe. I think women that are worried about taking HRT, I would always say, look, you, you, if I was saying take the pill, you wouldn't be concerned about it. You know, young women take the pill and that's much higher doses of synthetic hormones that aren't nearly as nice as the body identical hormones we use in HRT. And the other thing I say is generally speaking, um, you know, normal estrogen levels are maybe 500, 1,000, maybe two or 3,000 whilst you're, you know, when you're ovulating. When you're pregnant, your estrogen levels go up to 20,000. So even if it turns out that we give you some estrogen and you don't get on with it and it turns out that we do a blood test maybe it comes back as 1500 or 2000 you know a little bit above normal it's still not going to cause you any long-term harm you can just stop the hrt at any time you haven't committed to a lifelong decision you know it's reversible um you know within 24 hours of stopping hrt your hormones will be back to whatever they were without it so it's worth a try yeah, and that's a really helpful analogy, actually, Sarah, because I think a lot of people are, are nervous about trying it um, and worried about the effects. And actually, as you say, you know, within 24 hours of stopping, you know, that's it. You're done. Done. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to also just ask sort of anecdotally, the particular symptoms that you're finding that the HRT are helping in some of your long COVID patients. And I realise, you know, this is this fine line. We're not sure which are long COVID, which are perimenopause or menopause, but there are specific symptoms that seem to be alleviated quite quickly with the HRT. Um, not particularly, because as I say, 
you've got estrogen and testosterone receptors all over your body. You've also got ACE2 protein receptors all over your body. So anything can be affected by COVID. Anything can be affected in the menopause. And if there's a hormonal element, anything will get better, you know, if you give them HRT. So obviously, you know, fatigue is the most common symptom reported by women with long COVID and patients generally with long COVID. And I think, by the way, you know, fatigue is very different from tiredness. I think tired is when, you know, you've had a late night or you've overdone things or, you know, and you just, you just sort of, run out of steam whereas that fatigue is is, patients talk about wading through mud or feeling as though they've been drugged or just you know no energy left in the battery at all Um, and certainly with HRT things like that can start to improve very quickly but not necessarily more quickly than the other symptoms as I say everybody's different and everybody will have you know even if you go through the menopause naturally it manifests in different way in different women so I think anything that's hormone related will improve if you give women their hormones back. One um, symptom while I'm thinking about it, again, there's no evidence for this, but there's some anecdotal evidence that POTS uh, might be responding to testosterone. Um, It's something that I think might be true. I know there's literally one case report in the literature about three transgender transgender men. So they were transitioning from female to male um, and they they were written up because they all had symptoms of POTS before they transitioned. Um, And obviously they were given much higher doses of testosterone than I would normally be using in the clinic. But despite the fact that they'd had lots of treatments before that hadn't worked particularly well, when they were given lots of testosterone so they could transition to male, um, their POTS got better. And it's just very interesting because again, that is something that possibly we are seeing in the long COVID clinic. Quickly for for our listeners, can you just explain a bit about what POTS is? Sarah? POTS. Uh, so POTS stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, I think. I never say it. <laughs> and essentially, it's patients that have autonomic instability. So your autonomic right. nervous system is largely the nervous system that controls your heart rate, uh, your mm. blood pressure, your um, your blood vessels in your peripheries, your gut function, your bladder function, etc. So Classically, patients with POTS will find that when they stand up, they start getting a racing heartbeat. And it, I think it can be any autonomic symptom. I'm not a POTS specialist, but really any autonomic symptoms I would put in that category. I have a lot of patients that tell me they wake up at night with um, sort of adrenaline surges. So they've been fast asleep, resting comfortably, no nightmare, no trigger, but they'll suddenly wake up fully wired, heart rate racing, sweating, really, really unpleasant, obviously can't go back to sleep while they're feeling like that. It's any sort of postural instability. So standing up and feeling faint or fainting, um, Um, But I think it's mainly the heart rate um, uh, instability. I think POTS is also a multi-system condition. So it's, as I say, it's associated with bladder symptoms and gut symptoms and fatigue. There's a bit of an overlap between POTS and mast cell activation syndrome or histamine intolerance, hypermobility. You know, I see a lot of long COVID patients that have got two or three of these things going on in the background that they may or may not have had before they caught COVID-19. There certainly seems to be an association. And I don't know off the top of my head whether that's been looked into properly or not. I think that's a really interesting a symptom of, of potentially of long COVID and other things as well obviously thinking about the autonomic nervous system and it's just speaking to Caroline about this you know and how we often try and think as I know you you do Sarah really holistically about treating patients perhaps with long COVID and perimenopause symptoms and how yoga can help and how breathing techniques can help as well. Yeah I mean I think with you know a lot of my long COVID work 
um, it's been, you know, I, I focus on the breath, actually. That's the one way to tap into the autonomic nervous system. I often decide, you know, describe it as the, you know, the kind of more active side. So it's not negative, it's active. We need the active side of the nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, to get us out of bed, you know, to make a cup of tea, to go for a walk. And then we need the rest and digest side to bring ourselves to calm mm-hmm. down. And actually, it's the inhale that corresponds with the sympathetic, the exhale with the rest and digest, the parasympathetic. And actually, working with a lot of long COVID um, clients, I think what's been really helpful is for them to understand how we can hack this nervous system with the breath it's actually a really simple tool that we've got that's free and it's not you know it's not classically known or it's not widely known i should say um and doing some very simple breathing and breathing well i should say you know kind of making sure our oxygen uptake is maximized um is really really helpful for a lot of long covid but also for menopause and this is where this crossover is fascinating because obviously i'm working with long covid and menopause a lot now and actually not differentiating between you know either or just knowing that the breath is the key to helping most people and reducing stress or reducing the cortisol adrenaline in the blood and the body really incredibly helpful i yeah no i absolutely understand that and patients have told me that as well so it makes and it makes sense i wonder you know some of these patients with dysfunctional breathing and there's you know nothing obvious going on in their lungs or you know there's no obvious reason to account for it i accept that our you know the investigation and the test that we are very limited in long COVID because, you know, a lot of them come back normal when clearly patients are not normal. Um, but I wonder how much of that might be to do with autonomic function as well and the breathing centre in the brain. And um, and also breathing is just great for mood generally and anxiety yeah. and meditation and all those types of things, which are all issues that patients with long COVID are having to struggle with. You touched on histamine there and we discussed just briefly before we came on air that possible link with estrogen you know maybe triggering a histamine response and i'm saying maybe because as far as i can see i haven't read any definitive research or writing about it i just wondered if either of you had any clinical or anecdotal um kind of evidence from that point of view i mean this was something that i was worried about initially when we started treating people with histamine intolerance because estrogen can stimulate histamine release from mast cells and we know there's a possible link with histamine in some way so some people think that there may be this overlap with mast cell activation syndrome because there's um, lots of the symptoms overlap I'm not sure about that. I would say if you take any multi-system disease and map out all the systems, they're bound to overlap to a degree because (laughs) there are only so many symptoms you can have. But possibly, um, certainly a lot of patients seem to be histamine intolerant. So I do think there's something going on with histamine. I'm just not sure if it's mast cell activation syndrome or something else. Um, Going back to what my husband was doing, um, he and his colleagues at UCH did a um, study that was published in the BMJ. I think that was in 2020, actually quite early on. um, And they found that giving people antihistamines, about 70% of them improved with antihistamines. Now, if it was as simple as something like mast cell activation syndrome, then you'd expect people to respond very quickly to antihistamines because you've got the effects, you know, it, it doesn't take very long at all. Anyone with hay fever can you know, tell you that. But actually, a lot of the patients, it seems to take three or four weeks to respond to antihistamine. And their theory um, is that possibly histamine is modulating T cell function in some way. We don't understand that yet. We don't understand what's going on with the immune system in long COVID. But it would make 
it would make sense, um, which is why if you're taking antihistamines, it's really important that you take the right dose for a good six weeks before you, you know, decide whether it's helped you or not. Given that we don't really understand what's going on, obviously I was worried if I started giving people estrogen and there was histamine intolerance, it might make things worse. I have had a few patients, um, but on the whole, it hasn't been a major problem, actually. And I've had a lot more patients with histamine symptoms um, that haven't reacted badly to having HRT. I always start cautiously in those patients anyway. So we, you know, titrate the dose up very slowly. And I have had, you know, as I say, one or two patients, you know, it has made me wonder. But on the whole, it doesn't seem to have been a major problem. So I don't know. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you for your honesty and for sharing. Because actually, again, there's you know so much reading around this, but not all of it is evidence based. And so, actually, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is anecdotal. It's from what we've seen in patients or clients. And I think it's just really helpful to share and be honest. Um, you know, be honest with what we've seen and what we know. And actually, we do know, like just even even based on what you've just said, Sarah, that, that it's it's very it's a very safe treat like sort of HRT is a very safe treatment so even just starting really really low and, and building up for most people for most women is going to be absolutely fine and we shouldn't be scared of that and one of the things I wanted to ask you is, is women approaching you know perhaps their health professional it might be a nurse it might be a physiotherapist it might be their GP what sort of things would you encourage them to be talking to their health professional about if they're approaching them with long COVID symptoms because Let's face it, it's difficult to get an appointment anywhere at the moment. It's very difficult to get into a long COVID clinic. I mean, I'm in the lucky position of being in London and having UCH around the corner. And that's 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 the go to long COVID clinic for me. But but actually, what should women be? How can women help themselves? What should they be asking for? Because we have to empower ourselves, don't we, really? Yeah, you do. And unfortunately, it means you need to go armed, I think, to your consultation. And I recommend all my patients um, that they look at the Balanced Menopause website, read. Um, there's a leaflet that Louise Newton and I co-wrote about the link between female hormones and um uh, and COVID. Um, I also, there's a short booklet on there that I wrote with Emma Ellis Flint, who's a clinical nutritionist about the link with the diet and microbiome and hormones, et cetera, um, in long COVID patients. Um, and I think it's worth downloading the Balance app, um, uh, which is free to download. I sound like I'm on commission for Louise Newton, but I'm not. <laughs> I really rate her Balance app and her Balance um, website. So, I promise. Um, yeah. <laughs> download the app. Um, there's a symptom tracker. So within the app, you've got access to all the resources that are on the website but there's also a symptom tracker so you can track your symptoms over two or three months something that's really interesting that we haven't mentioned actually is that a lot of women um, up to about two-thirds of women uh, easily uh, report that their long COVID symptoms are worse just before their period which is when estrogen levels are at their lowest um, and it's a very it's a really useful cue for me when I'm trying to decide whether to increase the dose or not and I'm not sure and I say well are you have you still got any symptoms before your period and if they find that they're getting more tired or they've got PMS or their long COVID symptoms are flaring up, it means they, that we need to increase the dose further. Um, so anyway, yeah, track your symptoms over a couple of months. You can print off a health report from the app and take it with you and take the leaflet with you and say, look, I've done my research. These are my symptoms. I know about HRT. I know it's really safe and I want to try it. Mm. And ultimately, if the GP turns around and say no, then you need to find another GP. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. And actually, we're huge fans of that Balance app as well, because actually it's free to download. It's free to use. It's easy. And the fact that you can print out a health report or just look at it on a phone is genius because it's so simple. Hmm. Yeah, really easy. Um, And going back to what you were just saying about, you know, symptoms potentially getting a little bit worse just before 
periods. I think that's fascinating as well, because I think with um, that stage of perimenopause where, where women are still menstruating, that's often the case with their symptoms of perimenopause as well. So that ties in you know, quite nicely with the long COVID. And, and actually, I know that in my younger years, I didn't even think about tracking or you know, noting things down. I mean, I, I feel like the younger generations coming and coming up next are all over that with period trackers and different apps and things they use, which is really, really wonderful. But actually, for 46, never thought about it until I hit this kind of perimenopause stage. So actually being really aware of your cycle, I think, is really key here as well. And I think a lot of women, you know, as I say, they won't. I mean, in my practice, I know because I reviewed it recently and about 75 percent of my patients were having regular periods and did not think that they were perimenopausal until they got COVID-19. So this will not have been on their radar at all. Um, and I know some people will turn around and say, well, you're in your 40s. Of course, your periods are going to go irregular or you are bound to get perimenopausal symptoms at some point. And yes, that's true. But I think 75 percent of my patients were having regular periods and did not think they were perimenopausal before COVID and they've just been plunged into this acute uh, sort of quite severe menopause almost overnight um, and I don't think that um, all of that would have happened naturally without COVID-19. No. And uh, you mentioned um, Emma Ellis Flint as well. You'd co-written a piece um, or sort of leaflet around diet and nutrition. You know, obviously we're big fans of Emma as well, but really, really helpful because I think that's something you, we as women generally need to think about as we come through perimenopause and menopause, you know, setting up our body well, supporting it with, you know, good food, um, good nutrition. But actually, again, this is key to long COVID recovery as well, isn't it? It's really key. We know that dysbiosis, which is an unhealthy gut microbiome, so um, these are the bacteria and the bugs and the microbes basically that live in your gut normally. Um, And we know that long COVID is associated with dysbiosis and gut symptoms are quite common, wind, bloating, diarrhea, etc. But not only that, if you've got an unhealthy gut, um, then you you, you will get, you will have more inflammation in your body. So in the long term, that can increase risk of diabetes and obesity and cardiovascular disease. But in the short term, presumably that's contributing to inflammation that's causing or driving long COVID symptoms. We also know that dysbiosis is very common in the menopause, and there have been studies that have looked at gut health of pre versus post uh, menopausal women. Tim Spector, who is the epidemiologist at King's, has done a lot of work in this. And if anyone's interested, it's worth following the PREDICT group on social media or Tim Spector on social media. Um, but there's this, so I think long COVID patients have had this double whammy because their hormones have dropped, which has caused dysbiosis, and they've got COVID, which has caused dysbiosis. And they are probably the group that are likely to benefit the most from attention to gut health, which is, as you say, you know, very straightforward. It's uh, eating lots more plant-based ingredients, introducing some fermented food into your diet, possibly some probiotics if you want to, um, reducing sugar, processed food, red meat, etc. It's one of those things, it's not rocket science, but actually until you focus on it, you know, once you've seen it, it's hard not to see it. It seems very obvious, <laughs> but if you've never thought about it before and most of us haven't, you know, then then you won't be doing it necessarily. <laughs> Following on from that, we know, you know, we know our gut is a, a really big part of our immune system, isn't it, as well? So, you know, our immune cells reside there and it, it's it's it, it must it you know it must play a big role I guess in yeah. COVID as well and, and and the perpetuation of that particularly if you've got dysbiosis in the first place. 
It's very interesting as well, because one of the theories um, behind the pathogenesis of long COVID as well is persistent virus and viral shedding. And there have been studies that have shown viral shedding from the gut. Um, I know a friend of mine who had long COVID, she got appendicitis really while she was on holiday. She was very unwell, actually, and it ruptured. Um, And she'd been struggling before with long COVID symptoms, including gut symptoms. And she got appendicitis. um, And when I told Paul, he's seen more again I don't know if there's any I'd love to know if there's some data about this but he thinks there have been more cases of appendicitis since COVID-19 and interestingly my friend says bizarrely she feels better now she's recovered from her appendicitis it feels like a lot of her long COVID symptoms have settled down and I don't know it just makes you wonder doesn't it were there microbes there that the virus um, had infected and it was sitting there and causing issues and ultimately there was some inflammation in the gut the appendix got blocked you know the inflammation was being absorbed for want of a better word into her body i don't know but i just think i I think the gut is really important in long covid and i think if you're trying to get better from long covid you've got to be thinking about you know as you say yoga breathing pacing gut health hormones everything because there's no cure for long covid at the moment but there is a lot that you can be doing for yourself to to try and and, and you know, similar to, to what Claire reports around, you know, menopause clinic and, and HRT, you know, we, a lot of a lot of people have been taking HRT for a while, feel a bit better, but actually it's not the magic bullet. And so it's starting to think again, holistically, about everything you've just suggested, Sarah, um, whether it's long COVID or menopause, it's the whole the mm-hmm. whole package. It is. Yeah. One thing I would say about um, women, if they are going to get HRT, is my biggest tip is to persevere um so i i meet and i'm sure you know claire you meet a lot of women as well that say they've tried hrt and it didn't really do much and it wasn't for them so they didn't bother and my first thought is always well you probably weren't on the right dose or maybe you weren't absorbing from whatever type of hrt you were given and it's you know i am just now i think starting to see some significant improvements in my patients and we've been working together for a good six months um and I think it takes six, nine, 12 months to get it right. And it's a case, you know, your first visit, you'll be started on maybe a 50 patch. You go back in three months, you go up to a 75 patch, maybe introduce testosterone, go back three months later, go up to a hundred patch, maybe try something else because your HRT has gone out of stock. It's a, it's a real journey. Um, and I think that that's just the one thing that I would really like to say to women, don't give up, keep going until you are really sure that it hasn't helped you. And you can't tell that from a single low dose. And when we start HRT, by the way, those are low doses because we're starting low to let you get used to it before we start increasing it. Yeah, absolutely. I often say to women when I first see them, this is a moving goalpost. We yeah. are going to have to change the dose. Yeah. You may get to a dose that works and you feel great and then suddenly you don't again and and we may have to change. Um, and that's what I found. And we, we've seen, you know, a fair few long COVID patients, but actually most of the, our long COVID patients have have come to us on HRT as, as we've discussed, Sarah, but actually changing them onto a kind of more body identical form and saying this is going to take a minimum of six months mm. before you start to notice improvements. But actually, mm. posting that's a really hard concept for women. They're in this kind of turmoil of I just feel terrible. I've stopped working. You know, I've got a very close friend who's a GP who who um, has has long COVID and, and is, hasn't been able to work. And actually, that obviously changes lots of things about you doesn't it there's your psychology and then you're told well actually you need to give this six months to work it's hard but actually do persevere because it, it is so effective and it's so safe yeah it's interesting that you see most of your pages are already on HRT, mm-hmm. HRT because most of my patients actually aren't so when yeah. I get 
they're fresh. But you're yeah. right. You know, some of them have been unwell since March 2020. You know, the, yeah. and here they are, two years, whatever we are later, um, and they're still feeling unwell. And and then we're often having to start lower than I would normally and go slower than I would normally because I'm worried about histamine intolerance or migraines or you know I think progesterone intolerance might be a bit more common in these uh, women because there's just so many other things going on. So it must be you know it, I, I totally understand it must be really frustrating to felt that unwell for so long and then have to be patient but the one thing I guess you can say is that is you will be slowly improving all that time so yes you're not going to feel better tomorrow and yes I don't know how much better you're going to get you know whether you're going to get completely better or whether your hormones are going to get you halfway there I don't know but you know over time you should be improving all the way so it's slow steady gains yeah and i think you know we're all individuals you know this is you know this is the thing about hrt as well it's almost like a bespoke prescription for every single person that's prescribed it you know depending on everything that you've just mentioned the tolerance of progesterone tolerance of estrogen um, what you're actually absorbing and i know you know i talk quite openly that that i've been on hrt for about a year now and i think it got to about nine months before i really felt that it was actually doing something and i persevered and, and needed to tweak the dose so like you say it's it's persevering it's also going well actually i'm an individual i'm quite unique i'm not like my friend that i go for a walk with or i speak to and i'm going to need need to make sure this is individualized for me um is there anything that we can suggest or support those who perhaps can't take hrt because you know although we were looking and talking about hrt quite openly there are a small percentage of women that sometimes can't take it for some reason or don't want to for some reason I think that you know that's the other thing is there anything around that that you could speak to Sarah I mean I would say firstly um, if you're interested in having HRT and you've been told you can't have it check (laughs) because I can think of very few reasons why women can't have HRT if the benefits outweigh the risks and that's the key sentence is if the benefits outweigh the risks so certainly you know I've had people whose GP has said no because there have been a family history of breast cancer or I had one patient whose GP said no because she was adopted and he couldn't be sure if she had a family history of breast cancer or not so to be on the safe side he decided she couldn't have HRT which was rubbish you know I'm doing work at the moment with Louise Newton about women that have had breast cancer and a lot of them I think the benefits will outweigh the risks um, if you're giving transdermal estrogen and you've had a you know a blood clot in the past if you've had a PE if you're worried about microclots in long COVID transdermal estrogen is very safe and even women who've had a blood clot can have transdermal estrogen gallbladder disease I mean Claire can you think of any reason actually when you would ever just say an outright no to someone because I can't no and this is this is this is the really interesting thing isn't it is, is that um, you know Actually, it's all about, and we we talk, we talk about, and we use this phrase so much. But shared decision making is so so key. It's about having that discussion. It's about weighing up the risks and benefits. And absolutely, Sarah, I agree. You know, if you have been if you have been told no, and I and I do understand why some women are told no because you know not that we're going to get into it today, but there isn't the education around the menopause for many for many doctors. Um, and that's obviously changing. But if you feel like you you want a second opinion, ask to see someone in a menopause clinic. You can see an NHS menopause specialist. That might take a little bit of time, granted, but it, it is possible. And I think there are, like you say, Sarah, very few women who can't. Mm. I guess the difference here is is the women that don't want to. Um, I would say for that, I would clarify why and see if just a bit of explanation might help 
Mm. And if that still doesn't, well, then actually what you need to do is I think be be very holistic about it and go, well, these are the things you're going to need to do now to start protecting your long-term health. Exactly. I mean, essentially, um, from a holistic um, approach, it's a bit like men, isn't it? You know, men can't have HRT. Um, I say to my female patients, I know it sucks, you know, you're in a group that's more likely to get long COVID, but the good news is you can, you know, have HRT and it probably will make you feel a lot better, um, whereas men don't have that. Um, So, but there's, you know, there's all the other things that we've already been talking about. So the sort of sleep management, stress management, pacing, breathing, yoga, um, gut health, you know, all those types of things are really important. And then it would depend on, on the individual patient and what other symptoms she was presenting with as to, you know, whether you would be able to offer her anything else or not. I think the other thing that we mentioned it briefly kind of throughout is to really think about testosterone. Mm. We know testosterone is vital. We know there's more and more evidence, particularly around um, its its support of heart health and, and bone health long-term. But there isn't there isn't the data there yet, is there, Sarah, about long COVID? But I'm hoping that's slowly starting to trickle through because we, we can see the practice-based benefits of it in women with long COVID, just in supporting their fatigue and in, in supporting those hot flushes, even supporting those pot symptoms sometimes. Yeah, I think testosterone is very frustrating in women because the guidelines say that, you know, as you know, you're not it's only licensed to treat low libido in women yeah. who have responded to estrogen yeah. progesterone which I think is rubbish. I think of the symptoms that women have, that's the one that's least likely to respond actually to testosterone. I always say to women, you know, if your libido improves, then good for you, but that's not the norm. Um, I think testosterone is much better for brain symptoms. So fatigue, headaches, mood, drive, concentration, brain fog, you know, hot flushes, anything to do with the brain. I think it's really good for joint and muscle aches and pains and muscle weakness. And I think it's also really good for anything uh, to do with the vagina or the vulva because you've actually got lots of testosterone receptors in your bladder and your vulva and your vagina and your pelvic floor. So those are the three big areas I think testosterone is really good for. And I think there is a lot of evidence uh, of benefit of testosterone to treat menopausal symptoms, but it doesn't come from randomized controlled trials and the guidelines will only uh, acknowledge evidence that's come from randomized controlled trials which is really annoying because they haven't been done in women because no one's been interested in the benefits of testosterone in women before so you just go round and round in circles And interestingly, the evidence is not that much higher quality for men, but the FDA has approved testosterone to treat testosterone deficiency in men, but women with testosterone deficiency aren't allowed to have it. It makes absolutely no sense. Again, it just comes down to it's a hormone. It's a body identical hormone. If we do a blood test, your testosterone levels are low, try it. I think it takes a bit longer for your body to get used to testosterone than it does to estrogen. So I say I'd give it a good six months before you know, but it's actually, it's usually very well tolerated very rarely see any problems with testosterone it's much better tolerated actually i think than estrogen and progesterone um and you've got nothing to lose from trying it again six months down the line if you think you know what it's not done anything for me then you can stop it yeah i've lost anything have you fantastic thank you so. myself <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same page <laughs> it's like this golden nugget the testosterone that can possibly yeah. work isn't it yeah yeah no absolutely and it, it's definitely well worth a try yeah I think um, just rounding this up, actually, there's a little bit of, you know, 
reading isn't there to be done for those who feel they're in this in this position as well i think unfortunately i often say you know you need to be armed whether it's menopause or long covid you know the more information you can arm yourself with and, and you know if you can evidence based you know from from reputable sources actually that's you know that's we've talked about the the news and health website as well or the balance app we know that's that's going to be um, a good place to start um, and just begin to gather this information and and explore it for yourself as well so that when you do go to your healthcare professional you feel informed and you can write down questions to ask so you don't forget them in that appointment yeah absolutely and I feel sorry for long COVID patients because obviously if they're suffering from brain fog and fatigue it's even harder for them to go out and access you know that information for themselves but if that's in the case then perhaps you know get your mum or your husband or whoever get someone to help you and go with you to your appointment um but yeah you unfortunately um i think women are being fobbed off quite a lot um i think women get fobbed off a lot full stop actually Um, (laughs) but particularly menopausal women and particularly menopausal women with long covid um and to me this sort of hormone imbalance just seems like an enormous elephant in the room and i just do not understand why healthcare professionals are not more interested and engaging with it because anybody like us that works with long COVID patients and you know it's just so obvious <laughs> so couldn't <laughs> agree more yeah. Sarah, thank you so much. I feel like we've kind of almost put the world to right there. You know, that kind of really championing, <laughs> championing women. It's fantastic. But I feel like it's necessary, isn't it? I can't believe it is necessary in this day and age, but we really do need to. So thank you so much for joining us, sharing your knowledge, your wisdom. Uh, and it's been just lovely to see you on screen as well. Thank you very much. Thank you both.